Now, last week I told you, or was it two weeks ago, how dumb I felt when I went canoeing and lost my phone and my camera and my wallet, but I got that back. But I know what love is. I may not know much about else, other things, but I know what love is. And the call to the cross is a call to learn about the true nature of love. John the Apostle embeds this truth throughout his letter. It is a call to the cross, a call to see how Jesus loved us, a call to understand what it means to lay down your life. What is love? We're learning that today. 1 John chapter 4. Throughout this epistle, the theme of love and now a climactic passage on love, beginning with verse 7. 1 John 4, 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. That's the call to the cross. All right, right there. This is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and His love is made complete in us. Verse 12, we know that we live in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in Him and He in God, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in Him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world, we are like Him. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother... He is a liar. 
for anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this commandment. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Okay, we are nestled up close, right to the heart of everything that's important in this life and the next. You're not going to hear about anything of greater importance than what we've read about and what we're talking about right now. This is it. And we sense that as human beings. Love is a kind of theme in our living all over the planet. In fact, I got a picture from Africa that I want to show you. Uh, Actually, I found this on Facebook, and it was posted by Gomer. Don't you like that? (laughs) Those little guys are so precious. You just want to love them, don't you? (laughs) Our missionary in Accra uh, snapped that picture and sent it around. Some of you know that Janet and I just had an anniversary. I've got a picture that was taken several months before we got married. But uh, there we are. And I was number 44, and she had my number, I tell you. And we've been married 40 years. We did marry when we were children. All right? But it's been a great 40 years loving each other. My, my daughters started this on Facebook, posting these pictures. So that's us. But everywhere, people celebrate weddings. They celebrate births, mothers, love. We know about whatever human culture we grow up in. So love is a kind of theme out there in the human family. It's in our literature and movies. And everywhere you go, we talk about love. Well, today I want to tell you about true love. And I want to do it with two little words is and so God is love and God so loved both of these phrases are used here in this passage that I've just read God is love appears twice in one place it is the complete sentence is as you know is the state of being verb a form of to be. God is love in his state of being. He is love. And that calls me to a kind of love that reflects his love as a state of being. So I want you to see God's command to love as the state of being you are to have. What's your being about, your existence about? It's about love. God is love. It is his nature, his expression, his being. And so it is with you as well. Now, the Scripture says here that love comes from God. Janet was looking at some purses, and I was helping her uh, part of the time. All right? 
Part of the time I was in the tool section. But part of the time I was helping her look at some purses. And when I look at purses, I'm looking for tags and information. You know, she's looking for size, color, things like that. But she found a purse and she was kind of interested in it. So I started digging through there to find out where it was manufactured. And isn't it the law you're supposed to put that in merchandise? I thought that was mandatory. But this purse, I turned inside out and couldn't find a single place where it said who put it together, where it was manufactured. That's supposed to be in there. I'm going to tell you now where love is made, where love comes from, its source. Love comes from God. Love comes from God. I prayed God is good, and I want you to receive that truth. And part of the way you receive that is to confess that love comes from God. And anybody who loves is in God. That's what John says here. And immediately, we who are saved by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus wonder, now wait a minute, what, can lost people love? Can people who don't know Jesus love? Can they experience genuine love? If you were to say no, what does that do to your anthropology, to your doctrine of man? And if you say yes, what does that do to your soteriology, your doctrine of salvation? Can a lost person love? I think the answer is clear. The answer is yes. They can love. Why? Because they are made in the image of God. Sin damaged the image of God, but it did not eradicate it. And part of being human is the capacity for love. So a mother who does not know Jesus can still love her child just like you do. And a spouse who does not know Jesus can still love her husband just like we do who are saved. So John is not teaching that lost people can't love. I think this message is very clear, that God made us with a capacity for love as humans in his image. But to love does not mean that you are saved. It simply means that you are expressing a dimension of the divine being in the image of God in you. And you know what? We ought to celebrate that when we see it. When we see a lost person loving little children, that is good. That is right. And they are following God even if they don't know it. And a lost spouse who loves her husband, she's following God even if she doesn't know it. Love comes from God. Wherever you find it in the human family, it is the gift of God. It is a capacity God gives us, and it is the emulation of the divine being to love.
love finds its source in God. Another thing that every product is supposed to have is a materials list. What is this thing made of? And I looked in that purse to no avail, trying to find out whether it was genuine leather or not. It didn't say anywhere. That's wrong, isn't it? I know some of you could tell right off. You can sniff it, scratch it, and tell immediately whether it's real leather or not, but not me. I got to find a tag somewhere, all right? I want to tell you the materials that make up love now, okay? It's in your Bible. It's not a comprehensive list, but it is a list, and it's an important list. It's in 1 Corinthians 13, starting with verse 4. Just like you can take a beautiful beam of sunlight, run it through a pit prism, and divide it into the colors of light that are embedded in that beam, so you can take the great beam of God's love and run it through the prism of His Word and see the ingredients that are in it, the materials that are part of love. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13 when he writes about the greatest thing, The greatest of these is love. He says, the colors in the rainbow of love. Love is patient. You can check your love out by just going through the ingredients in your own life. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It is not rude. It is not proud. It is not easily angered. How you doing? How's your love doing? It does not seek even what rightfully belongs to it. It keeps... No record of wrongs. How's your love doing? It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. This is the rich panoply of love. These wonderful qualities woven together in the beam of love. God is love and He expresses these qualities most fully and completely so that the psalmist celebrated, Thy loving kindness is better than life. God, Your compassions, Your mercies extended generation after generation. God, your goodness endures forever. God is love. If you buy a product that you eat, it's supposed to say on there the nutritional value. 
I did not look for that in the purse. Although I know infants check everything out with their mouths, and maybe we ought to put it on there. You know, the nutritional value of genuine leather. But I can tell you what the nutritional value is spiritually of anything you do without love, including your care effect service, serving the homeless, helpless, the hungry. Here is the spiritual nutritional value of anything you do without love. That's a zero. That's a zero. Paul says, introducing his great passage on love. If I speak with the tongue of men and even of angels, but don't have love, I am only a clanging gong or a sounding cymbal. I'm just making noise. If I give everything I possess to the poor and give my body to be burned but have not love, I am nothing. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all wisdom and all knowledge and have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not love, it profits me nothing. Men and women who work in medicine. Don't you dare go to work tomorrow without love. I know some people in your business are hard to love. Patients are hard to love. And some of those doctors may be hard to love, all right? Don't you dare show up without love. Because if you show up at the hospital without love, it's big fat zero spiritually for you. You gain nothing, you are nothing if you don't do it with love. Teachers, don't you dare show up in your classroom without love. Don't do it. Get your heart ready. Get your spirit ready. Say, Lord, I want to love those kids, even the ones that are hard to love, especially the ones that are hard to love, the ones that make me cry, where I got to go into the restroom and just cry and not see those ones. Lord, help me love them. Why? Because I want it to be spiritually full and satisfying and rewarding. I want to grow in my love. So, Lord, don't, don't let me show up at the business office or the classroom or the hospital without love. God, prepare my heart before I go to the mission so that every scoop of beans I give is given in love. Because if I bathe it all in love, its spiritual nutritional value is huge. If I do it in love, it's not just spiritually good for me. It's good for the people who receive it. You say, how do you do that? How do you go? Well, it's kindness, it's patience, it's gentleness, it's goodness, it's faith, it's meekness, it's self-control. It's these kind of qualities that I say, Lord, let me exercise today. And this is how love is exemplified in my life. At the bedside, behind the desk. I exemplify and live in love as I am not easily angered, as I keep no record of wrongs, as I bear things, 
as I even lay my life down for others. Just like Jesus did for me. Ah, he's calling us to the cross as teachers and nurses and lawyers and doctors and business people in this community. He's calling us to the cross. Why? Because that's where life is. That's where love is. God is love. And God so loved. Do you know this verse? John wrote John 3.16 too. He says God so loved here, but he also said it back there. Do you know it in the old Bible? Say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's John three sixteen. God so loved the world. We read God so loved. If God so loved us, and we think it is an intensifier, that it modifies by intensifying love. But what so really does is it modifies it by telling us what kind of love it is. God so loved means God loved in this way, in such a manner, in the manner spoken of, in the way described, in the way it was done. If God so loved us, as John says here in 1 John 4, goes back to how God loved us. God loved us in this way. He sent his one and only son to be the savior of the world. He sent his one and only son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. We are called to the cross. In the journey of love, in knowing love and understanding love, we are called to the cross. And this is how God loves. God so loved. How? God, he loved us in the cross. This is a great climactic explosion of love in the, in the scope of human history when Jesus of Nazareth spread out his hands and willingly took the nails for us. This is love. This is love. God so loved us. It is love's greatest expression. The cross. God sent his son. We expressed our love when we were babes by exchanging the rings. It was an expression of love. Where is that picture? Janet is putting the ring on my finger. I am not 12 there. All right. Yes, the Girl Scouts who came to our house in my first full-time ministry position, when I answered the phone, they did ask if my mother was home. That's true. It is true. When I showed up for my first ministry position at the church where nobody knew me, they did take me to the eighth grade Sunday school class. But I am not 
12. I am much, much older here. And Janet, my love, is slipping that ring on my finger. Never leaves. It's an expression of love. But it's not the greatest expression. The great expression of love is when God gave His Son for you. This is an illustration of love. But it's not love's greatest illustration. Love's greatest illustration is when Jesus died on the cross for you. This is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sin. That is, to die on the cross for us. This is love's greatest illustration. Your love must give what is of most value to you. Your love must issue from a fundamental humility that seeks to serve the other person. Your love must involve sacrifice, the setting aside of self-interest, and the surrender of personal territory. Your love must involve determination and perseverance, for these are part and parcel of love. Love suffers long. Love bears all things. Love endures all things. These I learn in love's greatest expression and illustration at the cross. When I come to stand at the cross and say, Lord, what does love mean in my life? This is what I learn. You find no better or clearer expression than here at Calvary. And I find at Calvary love's greatest obligation when I get tired in the Christian life, when I get tired in trying to do what is right, when I get tired in doing good and getting no thanks from human beings for it, when the feedback and the strokes I get for my care of others and my endless work, when it's not enough and I wonder if anybody's noticing, I go to the cross. I'm called to the cross. And here I find what love means. It means laying my life down. It means giving thanks for the things that benefit other people. It means focusing my life in the other and discovering that the electricity of life itself does not simply happen right here in me alone, but in the arc between me and other people. It is in the connections with God and others that I really, really live. And these connections, these bridges, these arcs of electricity are love. And so when nothing the world gives is enough, you just remember what Jesus did for you and find there the strength to go on and there 
the greatest obligation of love as well. Brothers, sisters, if God so loved us, if God loved us in this way, we ought also to love one another. The word ought in that verse, verse 11, is built from the verb to owe, like you have a debt. So you visit the cross and discover your debt. I am a debtor to the God who loves me. And I have an obligation. I discover at the cross to love others as he has loved me. Love's greatest obligation discovered here at the cross. Love's greatest spirituality found here. Spirituality, that popular word we talked about, John brings it back in right here in this passage between the words God is love and God is love. Here is he has given us of his spirit. What are you talking about of his spirit? What is, how does it connect? The spirituality of love flows out of God's Son and our Savior. It is the climactic moment of love when God pours out his love on our behalf so that to know and believe and rely upon Jesus Christ to receive him as Lord is to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength because this is what God has done for me. This is what he has given It is the same thing to believe in Jesus with all your heart and make him Lord and to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. These two merge in the teaching of John. They are not two separate things. They are one thing, one movement of your heart, loving God with all, trusting Jesus with all. This is love's greatest spirituality. And so even though people who do not know Christ may love because God gave them the capacity to do so. They lack the great illustration and expression of love in not knowing what God has done for them. So we need to get to them as fast as we can and say to them, though you know how to love your child or your spouse or maybe even your neighbor, let me tell you about a love that goes beyond anything you've ever seen, a love offered you in Christ. The truth is, followers of Jesus talk more about love than other religions on the planet. It's just true. There are world religions with hundreds of millions of followers where love is basically a footnote, but not with us. Not with us. We know the love of God made manifest in Jesus Christ and it is the heart and soul of who we are. The love of God wrapped up in the gospel message of Christ's coming. We cannot talk about the essence of love and its greatest expression without acknowledging the love of God through Jesus our Lord. So we rely on this love God gives us. Verse 16 We know and rely on the love of God. We rely on the love of God in our salvation. God loves us. 
Why does he love us? Because <laughs> that's him. That's who he is. That's his nature. Not because we're good. Not because we're sweet. Not because we're kind. Not because we're everything he wants us to be. No, we fail miserably. We fall short. Sometimes we don't even love ourselves. So why does God love us? Because it's his nature to love us. And he loves us still, even in our sin. God demonstrated his love for us in this powerful way while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. Hey, we hadn't even made it to first base morally in our character. We hadn't even made it to first base. We were such a mess. And God loved us so much he sent his son to die for us. God loves sinners. You, me. We learn the love of God. We learn our dependency and salvation in sanctification. God, how am I ever going to be better than I am? How am I ever going to grow up in you? How am I ever going to get these habits changed? Lord, how in the world are you going to change me into your image? Why do I still wrestle with all these problems in my life? I've trusted you as Savior, and yet I can't seem to get over these things. Where's the victory? We depend on God and his love, even in our personal transformation of character. He loves us. Wake up in the morning. Note the love of God. Walk through your day saying to yourself, God loves me. I'm his child. There's something different about life when every moment you're breathing in the love of God and seeing yourself as the object of his love. It changes how you walk in the world, how you perceive yourself, how you connect to other people. It just changes things when you love. And so God's love is the process of growing us and changing us. He's making us into his image as he loves us, even through the hard times even in the difficult times. And I'm not talking about the times when you have hangnail, but the times when you have cancer. I'm, just, I'm not talking just about the little things in your life, but it's when you're standing at the grave and you're mourning. Even in the most difficult, terrible, troublesome times of life, God's loving us through. God's growing us up. His love completes us. His love matures us. We are not only saved, but we are made complete in his love. you got to grow in this, okay? you got to grow in this. Don't let it be happenstance. Don't let it be afterthought. Don't think it's going to take place automatically. You've got to make this deliberate in your life. Lord, teach me how to love. This day, help me to love somebody. Show me who my neighbor is. Give me eyes to see him. John brings up the invisible God again in this passage. And I think, what are you doing, John? No man has seen God at any time. No one has ever seen God, he says in this passage. And then he concludes it in verse 18, talking about it again. Nobody's ever seen God. I'm thinking, why? John, are you bringing up the invisibility of God? Because it's, it's something people think about, for one thing. Maybe you have. You can't go take a look at God with your eyes. You can't put him in a test tube. 
Maybe you've had a hard time believing in him because you can't put your hands on him. Maybe you're wondering, is he really there? I can't see him. The invisibility of God comes up in the teaching of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1 where he says that the Gentiles who never knew the covenant of Abraham, who never read the law of Moses, who were never exposed to the prophet Isaiah, these Gentiles were able to see the things God made and they should have known his power and his divine nature based on the things that they saw. I was walking by the lake this morning. You know what? There's not a thing I could do about the crashing waves on those rocks. I can't make them stop. I can't make them start. Nothing I could do about those purple martins singing overhead, dashing up and down. And when that orange orb left the horizon and start rising through the clouds, I, I couldn't do a thing about it. It was all a gift And the apostle says, God's invisible, but you ought to be seeing something about him from the things he has made. And if you've got that scientific mind, you ought to know that the deeper the scientist digs into the nature of man and creation, the greater awe he experiences. It's not, it's not like mystery and awe are gone in the 21st century. Did you think that? My no way. Why, it's on every hand. It's everywhere. The inexplicable. The startling and amazing things built into this world that we just keep finding out about. And wonder, that's just amazing. If anybody ought to fall down before God in just praise and humility, it's the scientist who looks at the world and says, what a marvel it is. The more we discover the more amazed we are. But you can't really look at the sun coming up in the morning and the clouds streaking the sky and conclude that God loves you. That workmanship communicates the power and authority of God. But God has another workmanship through which he communicates his love. And Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 2 where he uses the same word. The only two times that he turns the verb to do into a noun. The things God made, his workmanship. Romans 1.20 where creation declares his power. And Ephesians 2.10 where people declare his love. You are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works the invisible God his power is visible through creation and his love is visible through you but the climactic expression of God's love is not in us but it is in Christ for John says in John 1.18. The very same phrase he uses here. No man has seen God at any time. But God 
the one and only who is in the bosom of the Father. He has made him known. If you're looking for God in the world, you need as quick as you can get to get to Jesus. You need to stop looking at people and systems and start looking at Jesus. Hey, why don't you stop looking at Christianity as a system of thought and start looking at Jesus? If you'll look at Jesus, if you'll examine Jesus, if you'll read about him and get your eyes on him and really focus and find out who he is, you will discover there the climactic revelation of God to all human beings. It is in Christ. There's one place where there's no fear for you in this life or the next. You know where it is? in the love of God. There's no fear there. Surrounded, embedded, and baptized in the love of God. There's no fear in love. Completed, matured, perfect fear, uh, perfect love casts out fear. If you tremble when you think about Judgment Day, I want you to know, no fear when you're suspended in his love. Now and for eternity, you have confidence before God. Knowing his love, live in his love, share in his love. Bow with me, please. Somebody here needs the love of Christ. You need to know God loves you, and he does. And his love is pointed toward you this morning. And the message you're to receive today is the message of God's love for you in particular. He knows your name. He's calling you by name. He's calling you to the cross. He wants you to see his love for you. Illustrated and expressed in Jesus dying for you. God's done something about your sin problem now and forever. He sent his son. He paid the price. Would you trust him today? Would you just pray in your heart, Lord, I need you. I know I'm a sinner. Forgive me for my sin. I believe you died on the cross for me. I ask you to come into my heart and be my Savior and Lord. Would you pray that prayer to him? Commit your life to him. God, let us hear your voice. Help us respond to your spirit. Draw us to yourself. In your name we pray. Amen.